Welcome to the first episode of my Global Scholars Podcast Project. I'm Sophie Rentschler and I'm your host, and I'm so excited to finally be here today and talk to you about my project. Now, you're wondering, what is Global Scholars? Well, it's an organization that's tied to the Columbus Council of World Affairs. This organization goes to all the high schools in the district, basically recruits students who are excited about learning about global issues and taking that knowledge and applying it on a local scale. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be involved in this program, and it is my third year now. I started sophomore year. I'm finally a senior, and it's my last year. Last year in the program, you actually get to make a end-of-year project, and uh, on that project, you actually have to report on a global issue and assemble a project my global issue is misogyny in the journalism industry. Now you're wondering why are you doing journalism? That is because I'm actually pursuing this career in the future and I'm really excited about it and it's something that I'm very passionate about so I figured this is the perfect global issue to centralize this podcast on. Now before I get right into it I just want to address that the Midwest Endeavor podcast is what this is posted on but my content on there is a lot more lighthearted. it's fun, it's really quick quirky, it's silly, but what's going to be happening here on the collection of the series for my Global Scholars podcast, which you'll see coming out periodically every month or so, this series is a lot more serious. It's about a serious topic, and I'm very persistent on having these really serious, educated conversations about it. Now we're starting off with the first episode of this podcast featuring Kristen Gilger. She's actually the co-author of There's No Crying in Newsrooms, And I actually was able to read this book over winter break, and it was incredible. It was really insightful. The book is basically just a compilation of stories from female journalists, reporters, editors, whatever that may be. And it's kind of the documentation of the harassment and discrimination they faced on their day-to-day work life. And that's why I'm really passionate about this topic and I'm serious about it, because these are real stories from real women across the world. But without further ado, you're going to be hearing my conversation with Kristen Gilger, and she is so wise, so poised, and she is a really great professional in journalism. So I'll be fast-forwarding to that. Kristen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, it's nice to be here. Um, I am uh, the Reynolds Professor of Business Journalism at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. Um, I also direct the National Center on Disability in Journalism uh, at the Cronkite School. So I have been at the school for about 16, 17 years now. And before that, I spent 20 years at newspapers in various reporting and editing roles. I have degrees in journalism, uh, bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of Nebraska. Awesome. And what branch of journalism did you work for? I work for newspapers, so I was the deputy managing editor of news at the Arizona Republic, which is the main newspaper in Arizona. Um, I was the managing editor of a paper in Oregon. What did you do in high school to pursue this degree? Well, like many journalists, I was I bitten by the journalism bug in high school. So I worked for the student newspaper and the student yearbook, and I said, this is a lot of fun. and. Uh, ended up uh, studying it in college and, and going from there. So I decided in high school that this is what I wanted to do. That's awesome. And I like I think I see that in a lot of Westerville North students as well. That's definitely our staff is part of the Odyssey publication. That's our um, like title. 
and a lot of us are definitely interested in pursuing it after. So that's awesome to hear that that's the big first step to kind of get you involved. Was there ever a moment for you when you were kind of contemplating leaving the major? No, I mean, I, for a while I was an English major in college okay. and I ended, I loved English classes and literature classes, writing classes, journalism, you know, put me into the world okay. in a way that other majors did not. But also, you know, if you have a curiosity about the world and you just want to know, you just want to be nosy, you know, and talk to people and go places and meet people you would never meet otherwise or places you would never go otherwise that journalism just offers that that amazing opportunity perfectly said no absolutely for those young women aspiring to go in the field of journalism what do you suggest that they do what advice would you give them well i mean i have a whole book of advice so uh, <laughs> let's see i have to pick something um i think that um you know, one of the mistakes that women make, and I made it, I made these mistakes, and, you know, most, I think most of my generation did, is that you go into your first job, say, right, and, and you, and things are, you know, pretty equal, you know, your men and women are hired at about the same rate, in the same kinds of jobs, about at the same level of pay, and then, they get surprised about 10 years or so into their careers because all of a sudden, you know, they can see that things are not quite as equitable mm -hmm. as they were when they started, you know, still in this profession, you know, men tend to get, you know, promoted at greater rates, make more money, get better assignments. So you need to be uh, aware. You need to be vigilant. Women still bear the largest burden when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, sort of balancing everything. So right. we have a whole chapter in the book about, you know, work-life balance, which mm -hmm. basically doesn't exist. There's a balance between work and play that female journalists definitely have to obtain. It's very much so a battle. Now we're kind of taking a turn. We're going to be talking about harassment and discrimination in the workplace a little bit because, you know, we can use the book, There's No Crying in Newsrooms, as a living proof and evidence of the stories from women about their difficult times in the industry and they were harassed and discriminated against. Now, this is not a unique experience for women. This is something that happens on a consistent basis. And I just want to know, have you personally dealt with any harassment or discrimination in your workplace? There were a number of instances. I mean, I was coming up in newsrooms in the 80s and 90s. And okay. There were a number of instances, um, particularly early in my career, of, you know, outright sexual harassment. And, right. Um, and, 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 and that's true in many workplaces for many women. This is not true just in newsrooms, for right. example. But, you know, any industry that has been traditionally male-dominated, you know, women often will encounter... You know, sometimes it's an, a comment, sometimes it's an outright abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, in, in my generation, <clears throat> you know, we were, you know, part of a wave of women coming into newsrooms, you know, sort of post-Watergate, post-Vietnam mm -hmm. War, when the doors were really open to women for the first time in a, in a big way. Right. When these kinds of things happened, we just dealt with it. You know, we, we sort of accepted that, okay, we're going to run into these things. 
it never occurred to me to report something to HR, for example. Wow. You just, you just, mm -hmm. you know, sucked it up and, you know, dealt with the person or the right. situation the best you could. And we thought, you know, just by sort of powering through, we would change things. Right. We would make things better for the next wave of women coming into newsrooms. But that really wasn't the case. I mean, it was to a certain extent. But for the most right. part, you know, it these are not individual battles. I think I think something that that the younger generation moving into newsrooms over the last, you know, five or ten or fifteen years even, it's something they realize is that this is not my problem, an individual mm -hmm. problem. This is a it's a systematic problem. It's my organization's problem. Right. A good example is NPR. You know, yeah. NPR is a station that was, you know, run by women and mostly staffed by women for a long time. So you wouldn't think it would be an organization that would have, you know, problems with, with sexual harassment. But it, but it did go through um, that. Uh, when this was happening, you know, there were the older women in the newsroom who were like, well, I would have just like, you know, taken the guy on. You know, I would have, you know. Right. The younger woman is saying, no, you know, this is a, this is all of us need to band together to mm -hmm. demand change and the change needs to come from the top. They were effective and I, and I think they were right. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you suggest that when women encounter discouraging instances, how do you suggest that they bounce back? Oh, um, you're talking about resilience, and, and that's a, a favorite topic. I, I mm -hmm. think that for me, and you are going to have setbacks, you know, whether it's any range of setbacks um, in your career. And it's really, really important that you learn from what you can and, and, that, and that you get back up and do the work. I mean, really, it need, you need to be focused on the work and the importance of the work. You need to be driven by that mission. There, there was a quote made by um, an anchor, I believe, on an NBC affiliate where he was like, you're only as good as your next article or your next story. So that's definitely why the fight... Well, what are you going to do for me tomorrow? No, right. And it's, it's always about what is like news. It's always about what's current and the most appealing to your audience. I, I think the mistake you can make is thinking this is about you. And it's yeah. about you as a journalist. Yeah. It's about the work and it's about the audience and it's about what you can do. Mm -hmm. It's not it's it's not about how I feel about something or right. my opinions about something or how hard this is for me. It's it is what is the what is this going to do for I mean if you want to really be you know, grandiose about it. You know, what is this doing for democracy? What is this yeah. doing for other people? What is this doing for, you know, the truth? I, I totally agree with that. And I think, like, in the rise of younger people pursuing this degree and this line of work, I've honestly seen a lot of people where you can tell they're a little bit egotistic about their work, but I feel like we see it a lot more in male reporters and that's just a trend that I've personally seen where some females will have to combat this with males that are very prideful and a little bit hostile in their work when they're in a position of power. I often will tell um, other women who are coming up into leadership that 
to be able to be seen as a leader, particularly if you're a woman, you need to be able to act confidently in in at, at important times, right. at critical times. That kind of goes to segue for us. How do you personally work to combat injustice? Uh, I think like a journalist. You know, what does a journalist okay. do to combat injustice? And, and, you know, simply put, you know, you tell the truth. The only way we can combat injustice is with, you know, information, with truth, with facts, with, you know, the elevating the voices of people who don't get heard. Beautifully said. I, I want to take this on to another note. So this is going to be maybe maybe a little switch. But what would you tell your 25-year-old self as you're navigating and starting in this field? Uh, I think I would tell myself, hang in there. <laughs> uh, uh, hang in there. And when things get tough, you know, um, you know, you don't let it, don't let it deter you. There's not just one way to get where you want to go. There's not one avenue to fulfillment. For example, I mean, I never thought I'd end up at a university. I thought I would be in journalism right. uh, in, in, directly my whole career. And I had 20 great years in journalism and then just sort of as said, well, okay, I'm going to try this because this opportunity came. Yeah. And it just, you know, you need to, and it, and it turned out so well, and I'm, and I still feel very much like I'm in journalism, but in a way I never anticipated. With people my age going and getting ready to enter college, you know, a lot of people doing their early decision stuff, our advice to you, hang in there, because it's only going to get better. It's going to turn out. Right. Maybe some way, somehow. Expect it, but it'll turn out. Right. All right, just to narrate a little bit, Kristen and I were having a conversation about the Matt Lauer sexual harassment scandal. Now, let me actually tell you what this is about and how Lauer got terminated from his position at NBC. Now, Lauer was a famous American TV personality. Lauer got an assignment to report on the Winter Olympics in Russia in 2014, and also on the assignment was his colleague. Now, they stayed at a hotel and he sexually harassed her, and the assault actually continued after their time in Russia. So while they were back in New York, this was still happening. Now, believe it or not, this woman was not the only woman that had encountered this terrible behavior from Lauer. And women came out to tell their stories about what Lauer did to them. And one woman that even was involved in this news station said that Lauer was dangerous and everyone knew it. So I go on to talk about, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace and Gilger comments on this. Let me put it this way, that sexual harassment in workplaces is sometimes very overt, right? Like in, in the case uh, of Matt Lauer. Um, in other cases, and I think this is increasingly true, it's much more subtle than that. So maybe because some men at least have learned that, you know, there's only so far uh, they mm -hmm. can go. But there are, you know, microaggressions. And, and yeah. a number of the young women that we talked to for the book talked about this, about microaggressions. And it's sort of insidious because someone says something or talks over you or there's a comment or there's a, a touch and 
they and it's and it's somewhat subtle and mm -hmm. so the woman said things to themselves herself did that just really happen you know am i being overly sensitive mm. you know maybe there was really nothing to that um maybe it's just me um and that kind that ends up undermining your own confidence in your own right. experience and and that as i said could be can be insidious and so you start questioning yourself in the book you mentioned that one of your sources was in the newsroom and they were touched by a colleague a male colleague and kind of piggybacking off of the idea where in some cases you are not too sensitive you know and he touches her and she yells in this group in the circle of her colleagues she's like he just touched me and she drew attention to herself and she said that it was uncomfortable she made attention to it and that sort of attention facilitates change i think yeah. and never see that that exactly you know drawing attention to these supposed subtle acts of you know harassment and discrimination in the workplace i think that also has a lot of power and can definitely move some ground perfect segue onto this next one there is often a misconception that feminism is solely for women and in addition to this sometimes with this ideology in place people think that feminism is working against them men think this how do you go about educating your peers who clearly disagree with your belief systems in a respectful and professional manner engaging men in the conversation and mm -hmm. i do think it's one of the mistakes that my generation made is that we didn't have these conversations typically with men it was right like we talked to other women about our experiences in the workplace but we didn't include men in the conversation very much and that was a mistake because if you really want to change things then you can't you can't do it by yourself you can't just do it with the other women in the room yeah it, you need to include you need to have male allies and i do think one of the um positive things about um, the generations now coming into newsrooms is that I think the men are, many of the men are very willing to be allies. And I think that all we have to do is ask them and to some extent educate them and about what our experiences are like, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I often have, well have, as we went around the country and talked about the book, um, I, we had many men in audiences say, you know, well, what can I do? And, right. And the answer is um, to be an ally, often in ways, as I just described, hearing the other person's experiences and supporting, you know, and confirming, you know, the, 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 what has happened to them, not necessarily solving the problem. So I do think that, you know, there is much more of an openness now among men, younger generations of men, to the experience that women have had and i think they many genuinely want want to help this idea of finding allies is very neglected i think let me give you just a real simple example of something that a, a male ally can do okay so this is 
I've had this experience many, many, many times where I'm in a meeting and I suggest something or, you know, make a propose an idea, uh, make a comment and, and there's sort of an acknowledgement and then the conversation continues. And then a man in the room will say essentially the same thing that I just said. <laughs> okay. Yes. People, are, people will pay attention. Like, oh, well, that's an interesting idea, you know, and then, and what a male ally can do, what any ally can do in the room is say, yeah, you know, um, Kristen just said that, or she mm -hmm. said something very similar like five minutes ago. Or another way you can do it is opening, letting them into the conversation. Like, oh, I think, you know, I think uh, Rachel has been wanting to say something. You know, those are very small but important ways of, of being an ally. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think even some Westerville North students, as they, especially seniors, take on their mission to college and the outside world can take note from that and just advocating for those near you. And this, again, beautifully segues into another question, which is our goal in society, in a progressive society, is to have men and women work harmonically. You know, that, I feel like that is something that is, you know, never going to get perfectly there, but we're on the cusp we're getting closer and closer inching and inching so how do you suggest that we approach this issue well I mean, I mean i think that for a workplace or company and organization to be truly uh, equitable um that it has to really come it has to be built into the structure and the processes and procedures of the organization so again, you, you know, you can fight the individual fights, um, but you need to look at it for, for substantial change. You need to look at data. You need mm -hmm. to be able to, and that means disclosing data so that you can see yeah. how people are being paid. You can see what the criteria are for hiring and promotion, that you can see how complaints are handled, that, that there's transparency about, um, about data that supports inclusiveness. And, and, and that's, you know, we're so, so secretive about things like pay, for example, mm -hmm. in many organizations. Um, sometimes unions are successful at, at uh, uh, disclosing, you know, pay uh, for employees, but those are very useful terms in trying to address systematic problems. So you might look at pay issues and say, well, we really don't have a problem there, but we do have a problem with assignments or promotions or hiring or, you know, vice versa. So you can pinpoint where the inequities are being sustained by the system and address those. Well, that concludes my conversation with Kristen Gilger. It was incredible. Big thanks to her. That was really awesome, and she had so many insightful things to say. If you guys would like a deeper dive into the subject matter, go ahead and check out There's No Crying in Newsrooms. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next Global Scholars podcast episode.